Hello and welcome to the Women in Leadership podcast. I'm Angie Mazzetti. I worked with a particular interviewer who could never understand why I would get upset because he would give a girl five extra marks if she brought a handbag that matched her outfit. And at that point, if you brought gloves, you got another five extra marks. Gillian Harford is this week's guest on the Women in Leadership podcast. Gillian heads up human resources, planning and strategy in AIB, and Gillian believes there are many misconceptions about what human resources actually does. People think that HR is one of those soft, fluffy departments where, oh, wouldn't it be great to work where you put your arms around people all day long? But actually, we have to make a lot of tough decisions and we have to look at a lot of things to make sure that everybody gets treated fairly. Well, things have come a long way in banking since this week's guest started her career in AIB. And things are about to step up another gear in banking in Ireland, as this week AIB announces a suite of new initiatives for their Diversity and Inclusion Week. One of them is particularly exciting. We are launching paid paternity leave for two weeks in both Ireland and the UK. So we think that's going to make us one of the first Irish companies to exceed the legislation in both of those jurisdictions. Later in the podcast, Gillian will be sharing her top five pieces of advice to give your daughter or indeed your son. But I first asked her about her own career path. I came to AIB in 1979, which seems a lifetime ago now. And I came here for 10 months to fill a gap because I wasn't old enough for the college course that I wanted to do. And almost 38 years later, I'm still here because I've had 38 years where a company has helped me to grow and develop and has helped fund education along the way and has given me such exciting jobs. I've never really wanted to leave as of yet. Uh, doesn't mean I don't think every day about what I do, but so far it has been a really exciting journey with lots of ups and downs. And what did your education involve? What did you study? Uh, When I came in, first of all, like most people in the bank, uh, once I decided I was going to stay, I did the bank exams uh, because we encourage everybody to do that and to look at the discipline they're involved in. And I then went on and did an arts degree at night in maths, economics and psychology. And the bank funded that. And at that stage, we had a a scholarship scheme programme. So I was really lucky. I earned the final year off and I went by day, which was such a contrast having done two years at night. And then about 10 years ago, I had the opportunity to do some more formal Uh, postgrad education and for lots of reasons I made the crazy decision to do the MBA Uh, so I did that two years of my life Uh, again two amazing years for something I thought I'd never do Uh, so that's been my most recent academic journey. But that was a huge commitment by the sounds of things the MBA what did that involve? Oh, it it was huge. Now, luckily, I did it with great support from my boss and from my family, because I'd always said if I was going to go back to education, it would be when my children were old enough and it wouldn't impact on their lives. So I did my first year exams at the same time as my eldest did their leaving cert. So it was great fun in our house. Uh, But literally, you went to lectures uh, on a Friday and a Saturday, and then every night of the week, you did project work. It was the best course in time management and self-development that I think I've ever seen investment in. Where did you study? Uh, In Smurfit in UCD. 
Well, we know that banking in Ireland is a very female uh, occupation with, I think it's 70% women uh, in the banking sector. But yet we rarely see women make it to senior roles like you have done or to board level. Um, Why do you think that has come about? I mean, what gets in the way of women progressing their careers, not just in banking, but in general? There's probably lots of things that the more I look at this subject, the more I realise that it's it's not just one factor, it's lots of different things. Uh, so obviously the, the first thing is we have to accept the fact that, you know, without babies, there's no Ireland of the future and women have babies. So there are times when we all have gaps in our career and some companies are very good at making that gap seamless other companies not so good and I think in financial services in the past it wasn't always the most seamless thing. Second thing that you tend to see is a lot of women end up in support type functions and if you grow your career in a support function it can be very difficult to move into what we would describe as a more P&L type area and if you haven't had P&L experience it becomes very hard to compete for the most senior roles. I think the great thing that we've seen at board level is that board membership can be based on experience across a range of different industries. So as financial services are trying to become more diverse, they have a bigger talent pool to tap into at board level. But at senior management level, it's still very much a case of where is the pipeline and what can we do about it? So if you take AIB, for example, 60% of our staff are female but only 23% of our most senior leaders are female. And if I were to strip out the support functions, jobs like mine, for example, you'd see that percentage drop even more. P&L, that stands for profit and loss. That's right. And what does that mean where the bank makes money through loans? Or maybe it explains a bit more to me. Yeah, it's, it's the areas of the bank that make the money as opposed to the areas of the bank that support the making of the money. Uh, so like most financial services firms, we would have a high percentage of women in HR, in legal, in compliance, in our more manufacturing and processing side of our businesses. And where we would like to see more women is in our credit, our lending, uh, our risk functions, and dealing directly with the customers and revenue generation. Are they actively encouraged? It's something that we are definitely looking at and we actively encourage, but it takes a long time for that pipeline to develop. Uh, As I said, I've been in AIB for a very long time and we still have parts of the organisation that talk about diversity will be fixed now that the marriage bar is gone. And you kind of go, the marriage bar went in 1974. Most of our employees weren't even born when the marriage bar left. But it does take a while for things to change. And you have to have a lot of moving parts focusing on the change to actually make it happen. And I suppose a lot of that is about culture. What do you do about unconscious bias? Uh, Do you do any training or is there anything in the pipeline in that regard? It's a new area that we started looking at about 18 months ago. Uh, When we saw it, first of all, we kind of thought, you know, is this the fad of the day? But actually, the more we looked into it, the more we realised that it's a very strong part of any organisational culture. It's a very strong part of all of us as human beings. We all believe certain things about stereotypes. And what we learned was there's nothing wrong with having views. It's knowing what to do about them. So about 18 months ago, we brought in a company that specialises in unconscious bias and we started at the top. 
So our leadership team and our most senior executives went through a half day thinking about in and out groups, thinking about how we treat men, how we treat women, how we treat people of different race, how we treat people of different sexual orientation. And every single one without exception came away from it saying that was the most thought provoking training they've done in a while. Uh, So starting next week, we are asking another 500 of our managers to go through the same training. And this time we're focusing on managers of large groups of people and particularly managers who are involved in our hiring process. Because one of the things that comes through very strongly is that you tend to hire a mirror image of yourself. So if all our hirers have one single view when they look in the mirror, then all our new entrants will be the same. And they're the things for us to look at. I think it's been shown that millennials, people who are coming into the workforce now and younger, are looking at companies from a culture point of view. Have you found this as well? Oh, absolutely. It's a very different generation. And I know we talk about each generation as being quite different to the past. But what we are seeing is a generation of young people, our children, who have grown up in a school system where they are told they all matter, all their contributions make sense. And when they come to work, they expect it to be exactly the same. And that's what they demand. And if that's what they don't find in a company, then they vote with their feet and move on to another company to look for what they expect. Does telling people that they matter uh, impact the way you run things in HR in uh, AIB? It does, and it can sound like a, a small thing, but actually people think that HR is one of those soft, fluffy departments where, oh, wouldn't it be great to work where you put your arms around people all day long? But actually, we have to make a lot of tough decisions and we have to look at a lot of things to make sure that everybody gets treated fairly. And fairly doesn't always mean the same because everybody is different. So it means as you're designing policies, as you're designing processes, you need to think about, obviously, first of all, what's going to be right for the organisation. But you also have to think about, will this work for the people who live in the organisation? Because at the end of the day, we're a service organisation. And people are what make the difference. All the banks in Ireland can have exactly the same processes, but it's about the experience that the customer receives at the end of the day. Our customer population is really diverse. They have different views, different expectations that we understand and respect. And we need to make sure that we do the same with our employees and then they pass that on to our customers. So, Julia, why are you interested in diversity? It would be easy to say because I'm the HR person, but unlike most people, it starts with my children reaching a certain age and you invest equally in your son's and your daughter's education and you want to make sure they both have a world where they'll be respected. If I look at myself, you know, nearly 40 years on, I'm a senior woman in a large organisation. I've been really well educated and I've been fortunate in that space. My husband and I were both lucky enough to have great careers and ended up with two grown up children. And we don't seem to have screwed up their life too much by both being working parents. And the reality is I'm the exception. And for my daughter's generation, I'd prefer if I was the norm. That's a really nice ambition to have. Um, can I just touch on one thing that we, we didn't talk about yet, and that's personal branding. It's very trendy to talk about personal branding. And, you know, does that really matter for a woman in her career? Does it matter for a man or a woman in their career? 
It's interesting to see how topics have changed over the years. Uh, in my early years, I used to run the recruitment process for the bank when we used to recruit hundreds and hundreds of school leavers. And I still remember that we used to give marks for first impressions in terms of how you looked and how you were dressed. And I worked with a particular interviewer who could never understand why I would get upset because he would give a girl five extra marks if she brought a handbag that matched her outfit. And at that point, if you brought gloves, you got another five extra marks. So I'm really glad to say that personal branding has moved on a lot. There is still this perception that girls should look a certain way and and even boys should look a certain way. So we spend a lot of time training our recruitment interviewers. You know, it's, it's not just a case about looking for the girl in the navy suit and the guy in the striped suit with the fancy shirt and tie. It's really about looking beyond, moving beyond unconscious bias and focusing on the person in front of you rather than how they look. And does this come down to things like um, tattoos and piercings? It's one of those perennial questions that comes up on a regular basis. Uh, So we try, we do have a dress code policy. We try not to be too descriptive and and rule-based. We go on the basis of trust and we ask our employees to present themselves in a way that's respectful for the office environment. Have you any new initiatives in the pipeline? We have a couple that we're really excited about. We've been doing a lot of things in the background in the diversity and inclusion space for the last two years, but it was a bit random and ad hoc. So we've actually decided to dedicate a whole week to diversity and inclusion. It's going to start on the 6th of March and our diversity and inclusion strategy is built around four themes. So each day we're going to launch something new around those themes. Uh, So the key four things we're looking at, firstly, we want to look at establishing networking groups. So we want our employees to tell us what types of groups they'd like to socialise in, get support for, raise awareness on, whether that's around youth, age, parenting, LGBT, men matter, women matter. We're going to ask our employees and we'll help them set up the groups. Uh, We're testing a number of different ways to be more agile in our working. So can people flex start and finish times? Can they work from home? Can they work from other locations? We have a whole suite of initiatives around what we call Mind the Gap. So minding the gap in your career for family leave. Uh, So we are launching paid paternity leave for two weeks in both Ireland and the UK. So we think that's going to make us one of the first Irish companies to exceed the legislation in both of those jurisdictions. And we're also looking at ways to help our managers and our women going on maternity leave feel more comfortable leaving their desk while they're away from their desk and then reintegrating back to their desk. Uh, We're looking at our recruitment processes to see how we can be more gender aware And then finally, we're committing to targets in terms of female representation at the senior levels of the organisation. So we're hoping at some point that week to announce that across our senior management population, which is more than 2000 of our employees, we are aiming for 40 percent female representation. We're putting it in writing uh, because like everything in financial services, if we put it in writing, there's accountability and there'll be progress. 
That's a very ambitious uh, set of policies that you're, you're bringing in. It's not, it's not just when it's programmes that you're mm-hmm. bringing in. The paternity and maternity leave, I just want to come and focus on mm-hmm. those first, if I may. I know in some companies they say that they give paternity leave, but yet it's not uptaken, <laughs> that the men are afraid to take it, mm-hmm. uh, even paid paternity leave. Do you think the, the men will be quick enough to take it up? Is this a new generation that will be more ambitious and you know, feel OK about you know, mm-hmm. taking that gap? It's a good question and it's something that we have struggled with ourselves. Obviously, we've had uh, parental leave for a number of years and we do everything we can to make sure that the policy is gender neutral, gender friendly. In the UK, we've introduced shared parental leave and the take up is still very low. And we think part of the reason, uh, particularly with parental leave, is that it's unpaid, especially in Ireland. We're hoping that the paternity leave, because it is paid, that there will be a much higher take up. And it's a short period and it's a short period that's confined very much to close after the baby is born. Uh, So we've just launched it. Already we've seen uh, a demand. We've seen a pickup. We have fathers coming forward who are saying, use my story next week. I want to talk about a fabulous two weeks that I've had. You know, so it's it's a bit longer than a holiday. It's just enough for bonding, but not so long that you feel that you are out of the office. We've also gone a step further and we've said, if we're really serious about diversity, our uh, paternity leave policy is not just for dads. uh, So we are gender blind in terms of the policy. Uh, So if we have two mums, Uh, as expectant parents or two dads as expectant parents we still will respect the two weeks fully paid that's really brave or backing brave as you say yourselves (laughs) yes Yes. we we do like to think about what can what can we do within the organization that matches what we the messages we give in terms of our customers so we did feel yes it was backing brave and we did feel it was the right thing to do and we were very clear about it in writing the policy You were talking about maternity leave and the mind in the gap. Do people get anxious about coming back to work and the way things might have changed in the few months that they've been away? And have you any way of helping people to re-assimilate or re-join the workforce? Without a doubt, it is a really nerve-wracking thing to do. And it is a bit of a distant memory for me because my youngest is 25. And when... I was on maternity leave, maternity leave was relatively short. But if you think about it now, women could be gone from the organisation for maybe up to a year by the time they do paid, unpaid, and then if they use their holidays that they have clocked up. So coming back to an organisation after that length of time, it's really daunting. Uh, And it's something that we've talked to some of our male leaders about, and they even themselves admit that it's nothing that they can identify with because they've never had a reason to be gone from their desk for that long. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to look at the practical things and the softer things. So at one point, if you went on maternity leave on the day you left, we cut off all your access to systems, to IT. You then have to apply when you came back um, and it could take a week or two to get set back up again. And that's a week or two where you're struggling and worrying. So we now do lots of practical things to make sure your technology is set up on the day you come back. If you're a woman, particularly a more senior woman, and you like to keep in touch when you're on maternity leave, you keep your email access, you keep your social access, so you you get all the general information mails about what's happening and structure and strategy. 
We talked to line managers because we found line managers were so worried about being politically correct. They were afraid to have the conversation with the women when they announced they were pregnant. They were afraid to talk when they were leaving. They were afraid to talk when they were coming back. So we now do a checklist for managers and we encourage them to have conversations and say, would you like us to keep you in touch? Would you like to know what's going on? If we're having social events, would you like to be invited while you're off? And we're saying, do that dialogue. If a woman says, I just want to go on maternity leave and forget about the bank, we fully respect that. But if they say, actually, I'd like to keep in touch. And one of the things that we are announcing next week, we have it in the UK already because it's in the legislation, we're offering the opportunity for three keep in touch days. So if you're coming towards the end of your maternity leave and you'd like to come in to catch up on, say, your accreditation training or to attend a a team strategy day or just to come back and find out what's happening, um, we'll pay for three days so you can come back on your own time and get used to it. All of our teams are very good and very welcoming, but there's still something about that confidence in myself that I can turn up on the first day, still maybe with a little bit of baby brain, Uh, thinking that life will have moved on. The reality is it won't have changed that much, but we do our absolute best to make you feel as comfortable as possible on your first day back and your first week back, including the opportunity to talk to your line manager about coming back on a more phased basis and flexible basis if that works within your team. Do all of these initiatives, do they build loyalty to the company among the staff? And is it in the bank's interest to do that? Yeah, I I suppose... at the end of the day, does it does it lead to greater satisfaction? It probably does. Um, do people take these things for granted when they're there all the time? Probably. You know, it, it becomes part of the culture. It becomes part of the organisation. I think if you go to a company that doesn't have these kind of things, then you really notice that it's different. We've always gone on the basis that we're a large employer We want to do our best for our employees. If there are things that we can do that are good practice, we will do it. If there are ways that we can be trailblazers and try some new things, eventually they do get absorbed into the wallpaper. Uh, But we do like to do a bit of a reminder every now and again. And we think we'd be a lesser company if we didn't try for some of these kind of things. All of these initiatives are being driven. Is Is it from the top down or from the bottom up or how does it work? It has to work from both. Um, If there's no demand from the bottom, you have to start to say to yourself, is this something that is needed or is this something that is wanted? So we do listen very closely to our employees at, at all stages. So for example, we have a policy where if you're involved in a critical volunteer service, you can get some time off for training every year. And we had an employee who wrote to us on behalf of all our employees who support the lifeboat and said, that's not on the list. We think it's really important. Can you put it on the list? So we listen and we make those changes. But to be able to do these kind of things, you really need the most senior commitment. So if you don't have it at the very top, it's really not going to happen. HR can go in and talk about all these nice fluffy things, but at the end of the day, it has to work for the business. And that's always our overriding requirement. So we're really fortunate if we look at our chairman and his view in terms of the board, our CEO, Bernard Byrne, and his commitment and the commitment that he engenders across his full leadership team. It's absolutely there. So everything that we do, we do 
in consultation with them and with their support. Uh, and not just within AIB, we talk about it publicly. We're very involved with the 30% Club. Uh, Bernard himself is a personal sponsor of the 30% Club. And we really believe that it's the organisation's responsibility. Um, I, I don't know if it's just interesting or, or quirk. I'm trying to catch up on all my Oscar movies at the moment. Uh, so last week, myself and my daughter went to see Hidden Figures which is being claimed as a, a movie that really is a strength in terms of diversity and inclusion. For me, it was a really entertaining two hours. It's a great film. If you haven't seen it yet, I'd really recommend it. But the big thing for me, if you haven't heard the premise, it's, it's about black women in America in the early 60s playing a critical role in the space program. And what I took away from it was that society was moving very slowly, but an organisation and a prime organisation could decide to do something that was absolutely essential for business reasons and move the diversity agenda by a step change just by virtue of what they did within the company. You know, so I personally believe that things in the economy, things in our culture as a community can take a long time, but actually organisations can make change much faster and that can build momentum. Is there a momentum within Europe and within the banking circles generally? Do you think that there's a huge movement towards diversity and inclusion at the moment? There's definitely a much stronger aspiration in terms of diversity at senior levels and diversity of thought. And if you're looking for diversity of thought, that automatically leads into diversity in terms of gender and background. Um, we've, we've done a lot of our benchmarking against Australian banks that are a bit ahead of Europe. Uh, so if you look at banks like Westpac, they are really taking diversity seriously. Across Europe, we're definitely seeing directives coming from Europe, encouraging companies to think about it. In the UK, we've just seen a new charter on women in financial services, which we were very proud to be one of the first signatories to. Um, and at the moment, it's it's very much a recommendation around good practice. It's very much around targets rather than quotas, but it's very much seen as an essential part of doing business. I think the, the thinking behind it is that if you're only drawing from a certain small pool, you're not getting the best talent. That's right. It's And it's a, it's a combination of best talent and it's also a combination of best thinking. If you think about it from a practical point of view, 50% of the population of Europe are female. Uh, so if we're not tapping into that 50%, where is all the talent gone? If you look at some of the research that has come out from the financial crisis in more recent years, one of the key messages that keeps coming through is that boards and senior executive teams were all made up of like-minded individuals with very similar backgrounds, very similar personal characteristics and very similar experiences. And that can lead to groupthink. Um, so you'll see that professional bodies, you'll see regulators talking about the need for diversity, the need for balance as a risk mitigant, as well as being a supporting element in terms of real customer service and stability for the future. I think the, the Central Bank of Ireland uh, has been stressing that aspect of diversity and inclusion recently, the, the emphasis on risk management and that it's, it's a real it's a real thing that if there's more diversity and inclusion, the risk management is better in, in terms of pre preventing future crisis, 
Exactly. And uh, the central bank would be very strong proponents of culture change, of real diversity, but again, not just diversity in terms of particular characters uh, or characteristics, but diversity in terms of real representation of different points of view. The focus is frequently um, at board level and also at the the pipeline, but I suppose the board level is where people kind of focus on. It's it's the top line, it's the easiest to read. What is AIB doing um, about gender diversity at board level? It's something that we have taken very, very seriously. And in the past 18 months, we went out quite publicly and said that we were going to set a target for ourselves by December 2016, that 25% of our board would be female. And we've used the opportunity in terms of normal turnover uh, across the board and as part of our talent search to make sure that we met that target. Uh, So we're really pleased that by December, we had a number of changes across our board and we've met that 25% target. And it's a really good boost for us in the organisation as we start to take our gender targets lower within the organisation to be able to say we're leading from the very top at board level. But uh, being involved with the 30% club, I suppose you won't be happy till it's at least 30% <laughs> and you have that tipping point. That's right. That's right. Um, when your board is, is small, you know, one or two changes in personnel can really help. Uh, so we were really delighted to get to 25%. And yes, we now need to have a look at where we go to next. And we're definitely not finished. And well, before we finish, maybe just tell me, um, having been involved and having advanced your own career so well, but having been involved with the 30% Club and you know being enthusiastic, as we can see, for women's leadership ambitions, if you were to give advice to individual women, what would they be on maybe the top three tips to progress their careers? Oh my gosh. Um, I've been doing a lot of talking about diversity in the last few weeks and, and I did a, a top 10 with a group of employees last week and a couple of weeks ago I did five things to tell your daughter uh, when I was working with customers. Give me so the I- five things to tell your daughter <laughs> then because that would be really great. <laughs> okay, so... So I suppose that the, the five things I, I would I would tell my, my daughter is uh, the first thing is about energy and looking after your own energy. If your emotional energy is strong, you will thrive. And as homemakers and minders, we tend to put ourselves last and sometimes we should put ourselves first. Uh, networking is an essential, not a perk. And women don't always see the value. So do networking but do networking with purpose and don't see it as a waste of time. Parachutes are fantastic inventions. We all have them as women, but we don't always let other people catch us sometimes when we think we're going to fall. Um, So I had a, a personal experience about two years ago when my husband was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And for the first time in my career, I kind of thought, I can't give of my best at work and I let go. And I was amazed by the friends and family that jumped in to support me and told me I had done it for other people, but that network is there. We don't always use it. We need to know our own worth and protect it. So we need to think about our pensions. We need to think about our jobs. We need to think about putting ourselves forward and not be afraid to sell ourselves every now and again. And it's not just about looking for promotion or looking for money. It's about really recognising our worth and our value. 
And then lastly, we should do something brave every now and again, whether it's trying a new job, looking at some further education, testing a new company, doing something outside of our comfort zone. We can be so successful when we have confidence in ourselves. And sometimes we just need to remind ourselves of that. I think that particular point is is so valid because women are so often just they just follow rather than take that leap and it's it's a cultural thing with, with women, for, for little girls from the time they're born that they don't mm. have that bravery but uh, I think it's a very good point. That's right it's 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 two things that we're hoping to talk to our employees about next week. Uh, firstly it it starts with your own children you know we teach our daughters to be good and we teach our sons to be brave and maybe sometimes we need to do a little bit of vice versa and we see something called imposter syndrome and it's much more prevalent in our female employees than our male employees. We feel we need to be perfect before we can put ourselves forward. If we see a job with 10 requirements, we'll only apply if we meet all 10, whereas actually the job is about learning and growth and opportunity. So don't wait for somebody to tell you you're brilliant. If you're really, really good, be confident in that and go out and show what you're worth. And that was Gillian Harford, this week's guest on the Women in Leadership podcast. If you have any suggestions of leading women you know would be an interesting guest on the podcast, do email us at info at womeninleadership.ie or you can just fill in the form on the website womeninleadership.ie. The Women in Leadership podcast gets picked up all over the world, so we're not just limited to people from Ireland. And in a few weeks' time, we'll be hearing from Jennifer Davis, who is the Chief Marketing Officer for Layard, a company based in Beijing, China, and who are global leaders in the design, production, distribution and service of digital displays, things like video walls and visualisation projects. Remember, we're still collecting your jaw droppers. You know, those inappropriate things that men say to women usually in the workplace that you have to ask yourself, did I really hear that? Or did they actually say that out loud? If you've got some prize ones, do send them to us. We'd love to hear them. You can send them to jawdroppers at womeninleadership.ie or to the general email info at womeninleadership.ie. Here's a quote we're going to leave you with this week from an unknown woman. Little girls with dreams become women with vision. From me, Angie Mazzetti, and all the team here on the Women in Leadership podcast, goodbye and have a good week.